0: Acts chapter 26, and we're going to read from verse 24 down through verse number 28. The setting here is that Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem, and he has uh, appeared before Festus, appealed to Caesar. Now he's standing before Agrippa, uh, King Agrippa. And verse 24, we find uh, Festus and Agrippa together in the same courtroom. The Bible says, "...and as he thus spake for himself..." Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad, or doth make thee crazy. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner." King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Verse 28, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What a sober and sad statement that Agrippa would make. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. We began last week looking at 1 Corinthians 3 and Paul's journey in planting the seed and watering the seed so that God could give the increase. Last week we talked about planting the seed. This week we're going to look at watering the seed or cultivating, cultivating the seed. How do you get someone to accept Christ when they're not just not quite ready yet? What do you do with someone who is a King Agrippa? They are almost persuaded, but just not quite there. How do you handle that? What do you do with that? That's what we're going to talk about tonight, is that staying after it and not giving up on someone and how to get someone uh, to Christ after uh, the first attempt. Let's pray tonight. Lord, would you help us as we consider a a difficult topic? Lord, this is uh, more advanced material than what's usually covered uh, in church. We could say it's meat and not milk, per se, as far as the living of it goes. But Lord, a very important topic and things that we should consider, uh, things that we should alter or do better at in our attempt to bring our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, those who we have regular contact with that we know are not saved and have been witnessed to, that we can bring them to, to, to Christ and bring them to salvation. So, Lord, help us to be attentive and alert and, Lord, uh, a tender heart toward the truth that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I wish I could tell you that Agrippa got saved. I don't know that he did. We may get to heaven and find that Agrippa is there. We may get to heaven and find out that Agrippa is not there. You say, well, if Paul had done a better job of presenting his case... Maybe Agrippa would have been persuaded and I would say, hold up, hold, hold up just a minute here. Do you remember Herod? Remember when Jesus stood before Herod? You know that Herod was almost persuaded as well. Herod looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? He asked the wrong question. He should have asked, who is truth? Because truth embodied was standing right in front of him. And Jesus made it very clear to him who he was. And uh, even Herod, at least at that moment, did not put his faith and trust in Christ. Now, we may get to heaven and find that both Herod and Agrippa are both there. We don't know that. We don't know that. Have you ever given the gospel to someone only to find them not be quite ready to receive it? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Oftentimes in my life, I've given the gospel to someone and they've... Uh, I I have been able to see the convicting hand of the Spirit of God at work in their heart and their life. I could tell that they were being pulled and nudged by the Spirit of God, that He was trying to draw them to repentance. And there was this pushing away, this I'm not quite ready yet. And I would just take a moment to say that if you are in that boat here tonight and you have considered salvation, but yet not received him. I believe everyone here is, but we never know who's watching online. And I'm amazed how many people uh, will tune in and watch a sermon even later. And so I'll just say this to anyone that that would apply to, is uh, you can eventually run the patience of God out on your salvation. The Spirit of God is only going to work to draw you for so long. And if you know the truth and you push away from the truth over and over and over again, there will be a day where the Spirit of God just says, I'm not going to draw you anymore. I'm not going to work on your heart any longer. You say, well, then I'll still be able to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If the Spirit of God is not drawing, you can pray all you want. You will not be saved you will not be saved the spirit of god must draw you to repentance or that prayer means nothing that prayer means nothing and so be careful about that don't don't test the spirit of god don't uh, don't don't test that you make sure that if god is drawing you to repentance that you not be so caught up in the fun of a of a of a party life and i had one guy tell me in his living room he said i would get saved but i love to drink and i love the life that comes along with alcohol and i know if i get saved god is going to want to take that away from me, and so I just don't want to get saved yet. And I said to him, sir, you would rather party and go to hell than give up your party and, and, and end up in heaven. And he said, I don't want to give up my alcohol. Please leave me alone. My friend, don't make that mistake. And I would just remind everyone that hell is no party. Hell is not a big drinking party. It's not a big tailgate. It's not beer pong. It's not uh, whatever happens at the VFW or uh, whatever happens at, uh, at the bar after 11 o'clock at night. That's not what hell is. Hell is torment. Hell is fire. Hell is pain. And hell is real. Hell is just as real as where I am standing right here today and where you are right now today. It's a real place that people go that do not accept Christ. And because of that, we are working to persuade people. Christians are working to persuade people of the gospel of the truth of the gospel and unto salvation and I have to tell you that there have been many times in my life where I've tried to tell someone about how to go to heaven and they have not accepted they have not been ready at that moment they've not wanted to do it and to be honest the temptation is to throw up my hands and say well I did my part wash my hands and walk away. And it's true, while I may have given the, them the gospel, some people may just take a little bit more work than others. I, I think of a neighborhood right behind Walmart in Hagerstown, Maryland. The pastoral staff was door knocking in that neighborhood on a Wednesday uh, morning, and I knocked on this man's door, and a very nice home, probably $250,000, dollars home, which down there would be equivalent to like a $500,000 home around here, okay? Uh, the property values are a little different down there, but he, uh, uh, grand lobby, big house, he he invited me in, and, and it was just him, and, and, and he was a very wealthy man from India, probably a doctor if I had to guess, and had a lot of money, and uh, was single, living on his own, and lived in this home, and he was, I believe he was either Hindu or Muslim, uh, definitely a faith from that Middle Eastern area, and he had a lot of questions about the Lord, a lot of questions about the Bible, a lot of questions about Christianity, a lot of questions about Jesus Christ, questions that I had never, ever, and, and since then, never been asked before, uh, questions that were deep, questions that were complicated. And can I tell you, I spent about 40 minutes witnessing to this man. Uh, It was to the place where the rest of the pastoral staff was driving around the neighborhood looking for me and thought I had been kidnapped. uh, It was time to go, and I was still witnessing to this guy. You know what? I told him I could not work through all of his questions because he just came from a different religious system than uh, what I was presenting to him. And he had questions and he was curious, but he was not yet ready to put his faith and trust in christ you know what would have been a shame is if that i would have never made an effort to go back and spend time with him do you understand that a lot of people need more than just one 20 minute presentation of the gospel to be saved how many of you here heard the gospel more than once before you got saved would you raise your hand Aren't you glad somebody came back a second time and a third time and a fourth time? Aren't you glad the Lord didn't give up on you? Well, I went back to this man's house several times and never found him home. And uh, he never replied to my phone calls. I really worked to try to follow up with this gentleman and have Bible studies with him and, and help him to see this. And I pray that I was, I know I was at least able to plant some seeds. And I pray the Lord would use other people to water those seeds and bring him to a saving knowledge of Christ. But my friend, all of us today, are called not only to give the gospel out once and then uh, turn our back and leave, but to stay after it with people and work to see them uh, saved. I'm curious tonight, how many of you here have a family member who is not saved? Would you raise your hand if you have a family member who is not saved, okay? How many of you here have a neighbor and you are sure that your neighbor is not saved? Would you raise your hand? How many of you here, uh, let's see, have a coworker? worker uh, If you work here, don't raise your hand, okay? How many of you here have a coworker and you're sure they're not saved? Would you raise your hand, okay? Uh, can I tell you that it isn't just about telling them once and then forgetting about them? They need to know that you care. I think about my grandmother. I talk a lot about my grandmother because my heart is broken over where she is today. I spent more than 2 decades praying for her soul to be saved. Every night when I went to bed, I'd pray for all of my brothers and sisters by name, my mom and dad, my mom had trained me by the time I was 11 to 12 years old to pray for my future wife, that God would protect her and keep her safe and pure. And each night I'd pray that my grandmother would trust Christ. To my knowledge, she never did that before she died. You know, my dad witnessed to, my, to his mom many times. I can remember being um, 14 or 15 years old and I was attending a Christian camp in Natchez, Mississippi. And that camp was not have fun camp. It wasn't swimming time and and game time. It was classes in the morning on how to conduct a five-day club. And then you conducted the five-day club in the afternoon out in a neighborhood with kids under a tree or up against an apartment building. And then in the evening, it was just singing and preaching. It, it, and that was the structure. It was class time in the morning, Bible clubs in the afternoon, preaching in the evening. And, and it was almost like boot camp for, for Christian teens. And and I remember um, uh, we had driven, in th- that particular year, we had driven from northern Alabama all the way to Natchez, Mississippi. Seven, eight, nine hour drive. And uh, my, my, my grandmother only lived an hour or so away. And so my dad had arranged to get us out of the camp and go and have dinner with my uncles and and my grandmother, and so uh, my grandmother had arranged to pick me and my brother up from this camp. And, and so it was just going to be me and my brother Tim. And we were going to be in the car with her and had about a 40 minute ride over to the, uh, over to the, um, restaurant there. And, um, I, I began to ask the, the, the other teenage boys in my room, if they'd pray with me. About her being saved and that God would allow me that opportunity. And so I got in the car with my grandmother. And I even skipped a couple of meals and prayed over it. And I said to her, I said, hey, I, I, I've been learning something at camp this week. I want to share with you. and And could I share this with you? And she got really firm with me. And she said, if it has to do with how to go to heaven, you can keep that to yourself. I don't want to know. And I sat in the passenger seat of her car and I wept. She was stone-hearted and stone-faced and stone-cold. She did not want to hear. Years later, my sister, before she passed away, my sister would sit and have a very reasonable, logical uh, uh, conversation with her, trying to persuade her head. And my grandmother listened intently to what she said, but never made it known that she had ever accepted Christ. Now, I can tell you to this day that my grandmother may be in hell, but she had she had grandchildren and she had a son and a daughter-in-law who worked very hard to cultivate, to water that seed, to water that seed. And tonight I would tell you that it isn't just on you to give the gospel once to someone and turn around and say, well, I did my part. Yeah, you did your part, but when you get to heaven and they're being tried before God, you're going to sit there and you're going to wish you had done more. I promise you that promise you that you're going to wish that you had found other opportunities now be careful be careful you will become labeled at the family reunion as that guy or that girl everyone wants to avoid or because you're the one that's going to beat them over the head with the bible and you don't want that reputation you say well where's the line pastor The line is different depending on the relationship in the person. And you must seek God's face and you must get his wisdom. But at the end of the day, people are never going to listen to you until they know that you care about them more than just telling them the Bible. They need to know that you care about their day-to-day life. They need to know that you're invested and involved in what's going on in their life and that you love them. Listen, if your neighbor thinks that every time you walk over to him when he's doing the lawn, you're going to whip out a Bible and start quoting verses to him, Pretty quick, he's not gonna, he's gonna go inside when he sees you come outside. You need to be able to go stand in his lawn and talk to him about, uh, football or talk to him about, uh, you know, if it's a woman, talk to her about whatever the two of you have in common. Find things that are relatable and relate and have those conversations and show them that you care about them as a person. And then where the Lord opens the door and makes it clear to you, you give them the gospel. Let me jump in tonight and talk about three ways to cultivate. The gospel, to cultivate the seeds of the gospel that have been planted in the soil of their heart. Number one, notice we cultivate by our conduct. We cultivate by our conduct. I'm thankful for Brother Greer and his coming up here a few moments ago and talking about the importance of, of opening your mouth and sharing the gospel. I'm going to get to that point in just a moment. Brother Greer, you preached my whole sermon in about Two minutes, okay, um, and I'm thankful for that. You know, the, the Lord has these things for a reason. Uh, but can I tell you that while we do need to open our mouth and we do need to share the gospel with others, we need to be willing to show others the gospel by the way we live. They need to see Jesus in us. Letter A, notice our separation. Look down at Acts chapter 26 and verse number 16. Back up to verse number 15. It says, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? I hear Paul's giving his testimony. And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen. And of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. So here Paul has been blinded by a light. He's been knocked down off his horse. He's on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, and Jesus comes to him and says, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard uh, uh, for thee to kick against the pricks. You're you're ignoring my hand of conviction in your life." And Paul, covering his eyes, knocked down off by the ho- knocked down off his horse, blinded by the light, says, "Who art thou, Lord?" And Jesus says, uh, uh, "I am the Lord," I, uh, and you are. Are persecuting me. He said, but I want to save you and I want to set you apart and I want to use you to be a witness. He said, Paul, I don't want you to be in comparison to the world around you, I want you to be in stark contrast. To the world around you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17. Turn over there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse 17. We have too many Christians today. You'll never ever reach anyone with the gospel because they look at you. And other than the title of Christian, there is really not a whole lot different about you than them. You watch the same filth on TV they watch. You go to see the same movies they do. You use the same language they use. Uh, you are concerned about the same worldliness and filthiness they are, except you go to church on Sunday. Outside of that, there's not really a whole lot different about you. Well, well, why would, why would your conduct water the seed of the gospel? Look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Christian is to walk a line between being friendly to the world without being friends with the world. Let me say that again. The Christian is to walk a line between being friendly to the world, but not being friends with the world. Some of you here, your best friend, they're lost. And the truth is, you're not rubbing off on them, they're rubbing off on you. You're, they you're, you're, they, rather you are allowing them to, to dictate your movie habits. And hey, did you see this on Netflix? Hey, did you see this on Hulu? Hey, did you catch the last episode of this show? And you run home and you watch it and they're being a poor influence on you. And earlier in Second Corinthians 6, G, uh, 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 Paul tells the church, he says, do not be, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbeliever for what fellowship hath light with darkness? There is to be a difference between you and them. Now, I want to contrast that for you. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew 9, and I want to try to take two passages here that seem to go in different directions and show you how they don't go in different directions. Matthew 9, verse number 11. Here we find Jesus being invited into a Pharisee's house to have dinner. Look at verse 11, Matthew 9. It says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I read an article one time where it said that Jesus hung out with publicans and sinners. Can I promise you something this evening? Jesus did not hang out with publicans and sinners. Jesus wasn't down hanging out at the tax collector's office saying, yeah, we just got some more money. Jesus wasn't down on the street corner with uh, uh, with, with harlots and women of the night and uh, and just hanging out there for the sake of hanging out. You know what? There were harlots around Jesus, but they were there being made whole by him. There were publicans around Jesus, but they were there repenting over their uh, extortion of funds and returning it fourfold to those they had stolen from. Jesus spent time with sinners. He was friendly to sinners, but Jesus was nothing like their sin. In fact, Jesus was without sin. My friend, you are to separate from the world. The reason why many of us cannot water the seed of the gospel in someone's life is because we're too busy trying to live like them instead of showing them how we are to live like Christ. Our separation. Our separation. Your neighbors ought to see you getting in the church, uh, in, in the car, going to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every Wednesday evening. They ought to see you being faithful. They ought not see that it's hit and miss or here and there, but that it's important to you, that it's a staple of your life. They ought to see that your language is different at work. Hey, listen, you ought not be cussing at work uh, on Monday and then coming to church and saying praise the Lord on Sunday. No, there ought to be something different about you. I can remember working at different warehouses, and there would be there would be the the break time and you know there was always a chunk of men that headed straight for the side door so they could smoke their cigarettes you know where i wasn't i wasn't hanging out there smelling like nicotine taking in their secondhand smoke you say well you could have went there and been a witness no i went to my break room and i got my bible and i read my bible and you know what there were times where guys would avoid the smoke break and they'd come sit and talk to me about god's word they want to see that you are separated from, from them. You say, well, but that means I'm not going to be liked. Listen, you're going to get ribbed here and there. But at the end of the day, when they need to know uh, something uh, that's hard-hitting in their life, they will come to you if they believe you're genuine. Letter B, notice our sincerity. Our sincerity. Turn back over to Acts chapter 26. In verse number 29, and Paul said, I would to God, this is right on the heels of Agrippa saying that he was almost persuaded, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. What's he saying? He say, I wish everyone here today would be saved like I'm saved. I don't want you to be in bonds like I am, but I want you to be a believer of Christ. Verse 30, And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and uh, they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doeth nothing worthy of death uh, uh, or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. You know what they looked at Paul and said? The guy is rat- radical the guy is is extreme the guy is out there the guy has stuck his neck way out there for this Jesus he loves but this guy is the real deal you know what they said about Paul they said if he had not asked to go to Caesar we probably just would have let him go because there's nothing in him that's disingenuous or insincere he was sincere. Christian, your integrity matters. Your integrity matters. In 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 thirty plus years of being saved, I've seen so many Christians who call themselves a Christian and to do everything but act like a Christian when times get tough. You know, you're sitting on your back porch. And you're on the phone and you're having a fight with some family member. And you're letting some family member have it. But then you get in the car on Sunday to go to church. Don't you think that that's distasteful for your neighbors? You're in business. Either for yourself or you work for somebody. And you tell everyone you're a Christian. But then you're not honest with your dealings. You don't pay your bills on time. You you, you run up debts places. You don't keep your word. And people look at you and say, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Was it Mahatma Gandhi that said, "I, I love the Christ of the Christians, but I don't care for the Christians themselves. If it were not for the Christians, I would be a Christian. Now, that's flawed logic, but can I tell you, that's a lot of people's logic. Now, I don't know who needs this this evening, and I don't want to to get animated. I just want to say this nice and calm but firm. Can we be sincere? That person you're giving the gospel to, when you act like a phony, you've undone all of the witnessing that you, you already did. Now, you are the biggest hypocrite walking the planet. You're telling your boss that he needs to go to church, but you're showing up late to work. What kind of integrity is that, Christian? You're you're telling your coworkers that they need to not take God's name in vain in front of you, but then they hear you bickering with your spouse at break time on the phone. They hear you talking down your spouse. You come into the break room and you're you're. you're Listen, and I'm not on social media, so this isn't in the forefront of my mind per se, but, you know, I, when I was on Facebook, sometimes I'd go over to the info page of someone, and I would see that their favorite book was the Bible, and then they would have a list of their movies they liked, and there were movies that were filled with bedroom scenes and, and, and horrible language. Do you not see the hypocrisy here? Do you not see how you undermine yourself? You're posting Bible verses all over your Facebook page or, or all over your Twitter account or pictures of you reading your Bible on your Instagram, but then the next time around, the, the feed comes up, your name comes up, and you're complaining and you're gossiping and you're ripping people down and you're hurting the cause of Christ. Now, my friend, I think my battery is dead. No? We're good? Okay, now I'm on. The devil doesn't like my preaching. He got into the system and just shut it off here. I'll go behind the mic. How about that? Christians, we need to be sincere. Letter see, notice our steadfastness. Give me a thumbs up back there when my mic's on. Our steadfastness. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're talking about watering or cultivating the seed, bringing someone from a place of unbelief to belief over a longer period of time, a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor. Uh, an acquaintance that you met and you're sitting down for Bible study with Colossians 2 verse 4. It says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you or, or deceive you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Our steadfastness. I think I'm back on and I'm a little loud. So take me down a little bit there. Our steadfastness. Now, uh, what this means is that you are the real deal for the long term. You are the real deal for the long term. You're you're not up one day and down the next. You're not faithful to church one year and out the next year. You know how you're going to make a difference in someone's life. You know how you're going to see them come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Or maybe even a distant brother. I'm still really loud. Take me down. There we go. Maybe I'm just loud up here. I don't know what it is. Uh, But uh, you're going to make that difference by being steadfast that means consistent year after year after year You're in church year after year after year you're growing in your walk with the Lord year after year after year You are who you are Some people may not get saved in a day or a week or a month or a year They may look at your christian testimony over 10 years or 20 years or 30 years and say because of his faithfulness in the roots he's put down for the Lord and the joy he has in his life. I want that in my life. I want that in my life. A steadfast spirit goes a long ways in someone's life to water the seed to bring them to salvation. Number one, we see we cultivate by our conduct. Number two, we cultivate through conversation. We cultivate through conversation. Notice letter A, acknowledge the Lord. Go back to Acts 26 and look at verse number 22. Acknowledge the Lord. In verse 22 it says, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing, notice this here, phrase here, both to small and great. "...witnessing both the small and great, saying none other uh, uh, things than uh, those which the prophets of Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles." What was he saying here? He's saying, I go around and I tell everybody that will uh, listen that Jesus Christ wants to save them. Yes, I'm standing in a palace. I'm standing here in your throne room, Agrippa, or in your courtroom, Agrippa. And I'm telling you as a king with your governor, Festus, sitting next to you, I am telling you that Jesus wants to save you. But you know what? Before that, I was down on the street with a pauper. I was down on the street with a peasant. And I was telling them with ash on their face that Jesus wanted to save them too. Both small and great. You need to acknowledge the Lord. What does Proverbs 3, 6 say? It says, in all thy ways, what? Acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy path. You know what? It goes a long ways when you're at work and you bow your head and you pray before you eat your lunch. People take notice of that. They take notice of that. It goes a long ways when you're having a hard time at work figuring out a problem. And you say to your coworkers who are lost and heathen, you say, let's take a moment and let's pray about this. Now, they may not like your prayer, but bow your head and just, in your heart, just say, Lord, give us the answer to the problem. And then when it it works out, and then when the problem is solved, you look at them and say, See, I prayed, and it worked out. You say, Oh, Pastor, come on you know how foolish I'm going to look? Do you realize that after this happened with Paul, he got into a boat so that he could go to Rome, and on that journey, a big hurricane came, and they were about to crash, and he prayed, and uh, and then he told everyone, he said, I prayed, and God said, throw all the stuff overboard, and everybody's going to survive. And everybody looked at Paul like he was crazy until they all survived, and a snake bit him, and he didn't die. Then they all looked at him and said, whoa, this guy's the real deal. This guy's legit, whatever the slang of that day was, all right? Uh, you know why? Because he was not afraid to take his stand for the Lord. Listen, acknowledge the Lord, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And so we're to acknowledge the Lord, let her be, answer their questions, answer their questions. What I'm asking everybody here to do tonight is to quit worrying about what everybody thinks about you and just be a lover of Jesus Christ. Let them talk about you behind your back at work, that you are the religious lunatic. It's okay. Embrace it. You're called to be peculiar. You're called to be different. And so just embrace it. Hey, a lot of Christians, they want to ride the fence. They want to to be like the world on Monday, and they want to be like the Lord on Sunday. And you know what I found a long time ago is that when you try to ride a fence, it hurts. And you can't stay there real long, and so you just need to get off. Just get all in on Jesus. Just let your family and your friends and your coworkers and your, your neighbors know, and even your enemies know that you love Jesus Christ, and you want to be all about Him. Answer their questions. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. Let's turn over there real quick. First Peter chapter three and verse number 15. It says this, uh, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I should have looked up the verse. I don't have it right here in front of me. But uh, how about the verse where Paul said that no man would be able to, 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 to accuse him that he did not tell them of the gospel? Wow. What a claim. Is there anybody in the room that can say that they have told everyone the gospel that they've come in contact with? I can't make that claim. Anybody here be able to make that claim? Anybody online watching make that claim? Add it in the comment section. <laughs> uh, I don't know anybody that can make that claim. Good night. Paul said, I just told everybody. He said, I'm going through the checkout at, 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 uh, at Walmart, and uh, I just say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And well, the line's getting backed up behind you, Paul, it doesn't matter. That person has a soul that's going to heaven or hell. And they're going to take a moment to listen to me. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to answer their questions. And I told the stories about the, my coworkers in college who come to me uh, uh local Chicago natives and sit in my car after work and uh, I had the chance to witness to many of them. Uh when I worked for Max Finkelstein Incorporated delivering tires all over this area, they uh they found out that I had come uh, my previous job was that of a pastor and so I was called Pastor Richard at the church I worked at and so all of the men at my job, a couple of them were Muslims, but but all the minute my job started calling me Pastor Richard. And I was treated like the pastor of that blue-collar work team. And I got to lead a whole bunch of them to Christ. I was out of the ministry, but I was not out of ministering to their needs. And so I, I was there to answer their questions. How about Acts 16? Acts sixteen 31? We're in Acts 20, what, 26. Acts 16, we find Paul and Silas in prison. You remember? You remember this story, right? Uh, they were out preaching the gospel, and they uh, cast a demon out of a woman, and uh, the, the, the people who were controlling her lost a lot of money, so they had Paul and Silas thro- beaten and thrown into, into the inner, inner prison. And what did Paul and Silas do? Did they go, well, we want these other jailbirds to like us, so we're going to start acting like them? Is that what they did, Mark? Did, did, they, did they start cussing like all the other people in jail? Did they start complaining like all the other people and claiming they didn't do anything wrong? Is that what they did, Eric? You know what they started doing? They started having a prayer meeting. And I bet all the people in those cells said, hey, quiet over here. We're trying to sleep. And Paul and Silas said, hey, quiet over there. I'm trying to pray. And they just prayed and they prayed and they sang. And God sent an earthquake. And I bet you everyone in that prison probably thought Paul and Silas were just strange until the earthquake came. When the earthquake came and their shackles fell off and the doors flew open, you know what? Nobody was saying, nobody was saying Paul and Silas were strange. In fact, they all stayed put and the jailer came running in and you know what he said? He said, What must I do to be saved? How do I get what you got? Somebody had planted the seed in that jailer's heart uh, uh, months before, days before, years before, and the praying and the singing watered the seed. And when the earthquake came, Boy, they came, a man came running in on his knees. Now, what's not told in that story is how many prisoners got saved. Well, we don't know that, but I wonder if we don't get to heaven and find out that a whole bunch of other people in that prison got saved because of their willingness to take a stand for Christ and answer the question of what must I do to be saved. We cultivate through conversation. As Brother Greer said a few minutes ago, it's not just enough to live a Christian lifestyle and pray they get saved. No, we live the Christian lifestyle, and then when they ask us, we're right there, ready to tell them about Jesus. Letter C, notice our uh, attitude of patience. Attitude of patience. Go back to Acts chapter 26. Look at verse one. It says, "Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself." Then Paul stretched forth uh, the hand and answered for himself. Look at verse two. "I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day uh, before uh, thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews." You know what he said? He said, "Yep, I'm in shackles. Yep, I'm on my way to Rome. Yep, I might very well be beheaded. But you know what I?" Th- think myself happy listen it could be a lot worse i get to stand here and i get to give an answer for myself and i get to tell you about how jesus changed me attitude of patience you 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 you've given the gospel to someone and they're they're cold toward it and you pray and say lord give me another angle another opportunity And God opens those doors, and you're patient as he opens those doors. Acts 19, look at verse 8 of Acts chapter 19, just a few pages to the left there. Acts 19 and verse 8 says, and speaking of Paul, he went into the synagogue, look here, and spake boldly for the space of three months. Three months. He didn't go about town living a Christian lifestyle for three months. I'm sure he did that too. He went in the temple and he boldly disputed. And persuaded for three months uh, things concerning the kingdom of God. You know what he was doing? He was being patient. I bet there was somebody showing up week after week after week for three months just considering what Paul had to say. And after three months of having that seed watered, they said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take that faith leap into the salvation. Hey, be patient. Be patient. We live in a society in a day and age where we want things right now. We don't get our way. We get really upset, and and we give up, and we quit, and we turn our back, and we walk away from it. And you know what? Sometimes people need, they just need you to be patient with them in giving them the gospel. You say, oh, I gave them the gospel, and they rejected it." Well, hey, maybe God's going to open another door where you can share the gospel. Have that attitude of patience. So we cultivate, we water those seeds by the way we live, being separated, being sincere, being steadfast. We cultivate through our condemnation. Conversation. Acknowledge the Lord in your language. Answer the questions they have. Have an attitude of patience. Number three, notice, we cultivate through compassion. We cultivate through compassion. At the end of the day, no one is going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of you unless they really believe that you care for them. They must believe that you care for them. I wish, I wish my grandmother could be brought back. I wish I could just sit with her alone for five minutes as she gets a respite from her, from where she is. And I wish I could ask her this question. Do the tears I cried in your car that day, Did they move you closer to the salvation? Did it make you think about it a little bit more? When you laid in bed that night, and you closed your eyes to go to sleep, did my tears bother you? Did the love I have for your soul, did it matter? Did it matter? My friend today, if you will literally learn, rather genuinely learn, to have compassion toward the lost. Have a tear in your eye. God will use that to water seeds. Water seeds. Water seeds. As the tears run down your cheeks, God is catching those tears in a bottle, Revelation tells us. Those tears matter. Matter. They matter. They matter. We cultivate through compassion. When was the last time, Christian, you got on your face and you wept tears over your relative that's lost? When did you think through the process of them being cast into hell? And let that graphic image drive you to your knees in prayer. When was the last time that you you got on your face before God and you sobbed for a loved one who is lost and a neighbor who is lost, a a co-worker who has an eternal soul that was lost, that person that gives you a hard time that you don't even like that much, where you got on your face and you wept before God and you had a heart of compassion and you said, God, whatever it takes, save their soul. Send a soul in her that way, convicted their heart, work with them. Letter A, notice, pray for compassion. Turn over to Romans chapter nine with me. And we find Paul who is so worked up for his own people, the Jews, that he wished himself accursed so that they would be saved. Romans nine, verse one says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not my conscience also bearing the witness, uh, be witness in the Holy ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for I could wish myself were accursed from christ for my brethren my kinsmen according to the flesh you know he's saying he said i would rather die and go to hell so that my kinsmen israelites would go to heaven i so love my countrymen that i would rather go to hell for all of them if that was so allowed he had a compassion for them he prayed for them he prayed for them You say, oh, well, I prayed for my loved one and I used to do that, but I dropped off. Can I tell you that praying will move the heart of God to want to save the soul of that loved one or acquaintance? But more importantly, praying for that loved one will move your heart to be more burdened and more compassionate and more driven to share the gospel with them. You know, if you quit praying for that loved one, you quit praying for that son or that daughter, you quit praying for that mother or that father, that aunt or aunt and that uncle, you give up praying on them and you say, well I prayed and it didn't work. Can I tell you that as you stop praying, your heart will grow cold. You'll quit caring. You get on your face and you beg God day after day, week after week, month after month, sometimes year after year. And God continues to break your heart afresh for the lost. Some of you here don't care to hand out a gospel track or water a seed because it's just not on your mind. It's not that you're a mean person or that you hate them. You, you want them to get saved. You just don't think about it. It's not on your mind and your heart. Compassion. We must get on our knees and we must pray for the lost. We must pray for their salvation. You say, well, pastor, if I pray for them, am I guaranteed that they'll get saved? And the answer to that question, unfortunately, is no. There are no guarantees. There are no guarantees. But we must pray. We must pray. Letter be noticed, portray compassion. Portray compassion. Jude, verse 22, we all know it. And if some have compassion, making a difference. And if some... Have compassion, making a difference. I finished the message with this illustration yesterday. Brother Andres Barrios and I, along with Matthew, climbed in my car and we rode over to Post Oak Road, right off of Huntington Street here in Stratford. I pulled uh, down the street, I got to the end of the road, I turned my car off and And uh, after Brother Andres and Matthew and I uh, had some laughs and some fellowship, we bowed our head and prayed, and I prayed a prayer that was something along these lines. I said, Lord, this neighborhood is wealthy. These people are well off. Help us to be a witness for you anyway. We got out of the car, and we met a man named Donnie. Donnie goes to a Catholic church here in town. And um uh, Donnie uh is a Born Again believer. Knows that his church is erring, but has been there many years, and doesn't want to leave, but has put his full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We had a great time encouraging him in the Lord and Him encouraging us. We went down the road a little bit further and we met a, a gentleman who used to go to church here real regular and about a year and a half ago dropped off and isn't really going anywhere right now and had a really, really good, pleasant conversation with him and he said, You know, I've been praying about coming back and thinking about coming back and and he said, You know, I think I might just I might just come tomorrow. He didn't come today, but I'm praying in the next few weeks this gentleman will be back in church. And I thought, you know what, this has been a great day. We met a man who saved, and he encouraged us. We encouraged him, and we met an old church member, and he's talking about coming back. If that's all that we get out of day today, that's great. And then we knocked on the door, and a lady named Ida, she yelled out from her uh, uh, window. She said, "Who's there?" And I said, "Hey, my name is Richard. I'm the pastor from White Oak Baptist Church. Andres is here with me, and we just want to invite you to church." She said, "Hang on, just a minute." And Ida was all about four foot ten. Weighed about 90 pounds, but Ida came to the door, and she opened the door. And we began to talk to Ida. And Ida said, I'm lonely. She said, I'm I'm tired. She said, I'm weary. Just at the top of the staircase in that split-level home was her husband of almost 50 years who had Alzheimer's. And Ida was tasked with the responsibility of cleaning up behind her husband's messes, of spending many nights getting little to no sleep. And Ida stood there on that porch with a broken heart and a broken spirit. Something inside of me said, you'll inconvenience Ida if you try to witness to her right now. She's busy taking care of her husband and she doesn't have time to talk to you right now. But you know what I learned that day, what I learned yesterday, was that the seeds of the gospel were a long time ago planted in Ida's heart. The problems that God had sent into her life with her husband, along with other circumstances, had watered the seeds that were in her heart. She just needed someone to come by and have enough compassion to look at her in the eye and say, Jesus loves you. I asked her this, I said, Ida... Where are you going to spend eternity? And she said, I'm no saint. She said, I've, I've committed a lot of sin. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. About 15 minutes later, with tears running down her cheeks, Ida asked Christ to come in her life and take her sins away. Ida still has to deal with her aging, dying husband. But Ida now has the help of her Heavenly Father. You know what Ida needed? She needed some Christians, who before yesterday didn't know her, to go show her some compassion. Oh, it was the Lord that saved her. Oh, it was other Christians who planted the seeds and watered the seeds. But through that process, Ida got saved. I'm so thankful that week after week after week, that same story with somebody else's name and circumstances can be told. I look at Vince down here on the second row. Vince has been our neighbor for 30 plus years. By the way, everybody pray for Vince. Today would have been 50 years, or yesterday rather, would have been 50 years of marriage his wife's still been alive. And today's a tough day for Vince. This has been a tough weekend for Vince. And you all, let's lift him up in our prayers. But Vince came stumbling in the door of our church just, just a handful of months ago, back in May. And he and I had the chance to sit on the back row. And he poured his heart out about all the heartaches and troubles and trials of life. And after a few short hours, he was given a gospel track. And through a series of events, because of the compassion of this church, Vince is now on his way to heaven. How many of you here today, someone showed you compassion? And because of their compassion, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. Would you hold up your hand? Someone loved you? Will you listen to me this evening? Your friends need you not to throw stones at them, but to have compassion with them. Your neighbors, your co-workers. You say, oh, I gave them the gospel and they didn't want it. You just keep on living like Jesus. You just keep on answering their questions. You just keep on acknowledging the Lord. You keep on with an attitude of patience. You keep on loving them. You keep on praying for them. You keep on showing them compassion. And one day, if the Lord allows it, one day their heart will soften and they'll open up their hearts and lives and they'll trust Christ as their Savior. But we must cultivate that seed. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, would you move... In our midst tonight, would you break our hearts afresh and anew for those that are in our lives and are not saved? Lord, I would hate for any loved one of anyone in this room to end up where my, I believe, where my grandmother is. Lord, may we make every effort. May we invest every tear, every prayer every kind word, every sincere spirit. Lord, may we be patient, but Lord, may we be constant and steadfast in our love. And may we realize that for many folks around us, we will be the only Bible that they may ever read. Lord, help us to cultivate the seeds of the gospel. And may you give the increase. In Jesus' name.